Welcome to the new episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Show is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. And we are now in our fourth season, Haunted New Orleans. If you're tuning into the podcast for the first time, we suggest you start listening to the Haunted New Orleans season with episode 53, which is where this season begins and where we set the stage for the many dark tales ahead. In each episode of the season, we'll be revealing the history, mystery, spirits, scandals, and sins of New Orleans, a city we believe is the most haunted in America. So light some candles, grab the chicken's foot, pack up the grigri bag, and prepare yourself for the next episode of Haunted New Orleans. Ask any tourist or anyone who watched a season of American Horror Story, and they can tell you that Marie Laveau is the undisputed queen of voodoo in New Orleans. Voodoo was as big a part in New Orleans as jazz, gumbo, and Mardi Gras. Most tourists, even after seeing the voodoo shops in the French Quarter, assume that voodoo is a thing of the past, but they couldn't be more wrong. The religious faith is very much alive today, and it's taken just as seriously now as it was in the days of Marie Laveau. Voodoo came to New Orleans from Africa, mostly by way of the Caribbean islands. Slaves in Louisiana began arriving in 1719. The majority of enslaved Africans that found their way to New Orleans came directly from West Africa, bringing with them their language and religious beliefs, which were rooted in spirit and ancestor worship. In the Fawn language of West Africa, Voodoo means spirit, an invisible and mysterious force that can intervene in human affairs. One reason that voodoo developed in New Orleans more than in other parts of America is largely because the French, then the Spanish, then the French again, colonized Louisiana. They were far more tolerant of the practices and faiths of the slave population than were the British. You know, the people who came to America for religious freedom and then suppressed the faiths of anyone who didn't agree with them. Another reason was because of sheer numbers. Thousands of slaves were brought to Louisiana. In fact, according to the census of 1732, the ratio of slaves to French settlers was two to one. The white minority would have had a hard time suppressing the voodoo faith, so they most likely just didn't bother. However, there were some worries that popped up here and there. The first reference to voodoo in official documents appeared in 1782 when the Spanish were in charge. In a document about imports to the colony, there's a terse line regarding black slaves from the island of Martinique. Governor Galvez wrote, quote, these Negroes are too much given to voodooism and make the lives of certain citizens unsafe. But I think the governor was less worried about voodoo and more worried about rebellious slaves. A series of slave revolts had rocked Haiti and other islands in the Caribbean, and each time French colonists were driven from those lands and ended up in New Orleans. When they arrived, they brought their slaves with them, slaves who not only practiced voodoo, but also may have been recently involved in the uprisings. New Orleans-style voodoo evolved just like the food in New Orleans did, as a blend of different cultures. One of the most important cultures was Catholicism. Some people feel that those who practiced voodoo started using Catholic saints, holy water, and the Lord's prayers in their ceremonies as a way to hide voodoo in plain sight, so to speak. It's been suggested that slaves were forbidden to practice their religion, so they used Catholic saints and icons as stand-ins for important voodoo deities. But this may not be true. 
Some believe that it was a conscious decision to integrate Catholicism into voodoo because the white man's magic did seem to have some power, you know, since the white man had a better life as a slave owner instead of as a slave. For others, the blending of voodoo and Catholicism was simply a natural course of events. After many years and generations away from their homeland, slaves slowly lost their old beliefs, and the predominant Catholicism of New Orleans bled into their practices. Regardless, if you go into an authentic voodoo shop today, you'll find, in addition to charms, roots, potions, and powders, icons of Catholic saints, statues, and prayer candles, all of which are used in the ceremonies and practices of the faith. Voodoo in New Orleans grew to be quite different than what's practiced in Haiti and other places. The evolution of the faith in New Orleans created many new practices that most of us associate with some of the basics of voodoo, including voodoo dolls, gri-gri, which are small bags filled with magic items to bring good luck or protect us from evil, and voodoo queens. In Africa, voodoo is a male-dominated faith, but it was the opposite in New Orleans. The slaves gave credit to a female spirit, Ada Wido for allowing them to survive the ocean crossing to the new world. This was the beginning of women having a central and important role in New Orleans-style voodoo. Marie Laveau is, of course, the most famous voodoo queen in the city's history, but she was not the first. Sunit Didi was an early voodoo practitioner in the city. She was a young woman from Haiti who held rituals in her courtyard at Dumaine and Charter Street, just a few blocks from the St. Louis Cathedral. The local newspaper presented sensational stories about her rituals describing, quote, wild, uncontrolled orgies and serpent worship. It was the newspaper stories that first upset the white colonists. Whether it was the drums that could be heard during mass or the supposed orgies, the church managed to push through an ordinance in 1817 that stated that Catholicism was the only recognized faith in New Orleans, making it illegal to practice any others. Soon after, the police arrested 400 women for allegedly dancing naked in Sunit's courtyard. The charges were later dropped for lack of evidence, which turned out to be almost as bad as if the women had been sent to jail. You see, rumors spread that voodoo spells had either erased the evidence or clouded the minds of the judges and prosecutors. White residents feared that the religion practiced by slaves and free people of color was so powerful that it could entice followers to commit any crime or deed. Supernatural powers and secret drugs made voodoo a force to be reckoned with. Slave owners began to fear poison in their food. Men and women were convinced they could be forced to fall in love with anyone just because of a sprinkle of magic powder. Even death could be held in check by the use of zombie drugs. Well, the message was clear. Voodoo was not welcome in New Orleans. To avoid harassment in the city, voodoo practitioners moved outside the city limits to the swamp of Bayou St. John, near what's now City Park. But the fears and prejudice of the white residents of the city did not drive voodoo out of New Orleans altogether. The next leader of voodoo in the city was John Montanay, a heavily tattooed voodoo priest better known as Dr. John. He was a well-respected free person of color who sometimes claimed to have once been an African prince. He had a number of beautiful wives and mistresses with whom he had over 50 children. In addition to what must have been a very busy love life, he was also famous for predicting the future, casting spells, making Grigri bags, and reading minds. And if his name sounds familiar, it's likely because you've heard his music. Well, not the original Dr. John, but the music of Mac Rebinac, who took the stage name of Dr. John as an homage to the 19th century voodoo man. He was the first in New Orleans to use voodoo for profit. He charged fees to mix potions and make grigri bags, and he was happy to sell any item to whoever wanted to pay, black or white. 
John was the mentor, teacher, and some even say the power behind Marie Laveau. She eventually decided to break away from Dr. John and set up her own practice. Marie Laveau became for voodoo what Louis Armstrong is for jazz. By that, I mean there are a lot of people who claim to have invented jazz, from Buddy Bolden to Jelly Roll Morton, but it was Louis Armstrong who made it internationally famous. Marie Laveau may have come later than Sunit Day and Dr. John, but she was the one who made it notorious, and the reason that we still talk about it today. Marie Laveau was born in New Orleans, or maybe in Haiti, in 1794, or maybe not. Her father was a white plantation owner, and her mother was one of his slaves. The first official record of her appears in 1819, when she married Jacques Paris, another free person of color. She was soon abandoned or maybe widowed, no one knows, but at some point in 1825, she began a second common law marriage to Christophe de Glapion, another free person of color with whom she would have 15 children. It seems hard to believe that she had time for making potions, holding voodoo ceremonies, and doing hair. Yes, Marie Laveau really was a hairdresser. She learned all the latest styles and cared for the most affluent ladies of New Orleans. This allowed her access to the most fashionable homes in the city, gathering gossip and information during every appointment. Her clients talked to her about anything and everything, from childbirths to scandals, and she created a network of intelligence by recruiting cooks, maids, and domestic workers as her informants. In this way, when she told fortunes, she was remarkably well-informed, presenting information that she couldn't possibly know, or so it seemed to her clients. Her reputation became well-known throughout the city. To visit Marie for a reading became the latest craze throughout New Orleans. Politicians paid her as much as $1,000 for help in winning elections. The cost of her love potion soared to $10. As a lifelong Catholic, she has been credited for introducing the Virgin Mary as a central figure of worship in voodoo, attracting even more followers. She dealt in spells and charms for both black and white customers and produced cures for their ailments. Marie was a clever and astute businesswoman who knew how to use her beliefs and the belief and fears of others to the advantage of herself and her clients. One tale of Marie Laveau has reached legendary status in New Orleans. A young man from a wealthy family was arrested and charged with a series of crimes. While the young man himself was innocent, the true perpetrators had been several of his friends, and they'd let the blame fall upon their unlucky pal. His grief-stricken father sought out the assistance of Marie and explained the circumstances of the case to her. He promised a handsome reward if she would use her powers to obtain his son's release. When the day of the trial arrived, Marie placed three peppers into her mouth and went into St. Louis Cathedral to pray. She remained at the altar for some time and then managed to get into the courtroom where the trial was going to be held. Before the proceedings could start, she took the three peppers from her mouth and put them under the judge's chair. None of the spectators could see them, but there was no way that the judge could miss them as he walked to his chair. We can only imagine what he must have thought after seeing the peppers and then looking out and seeing Marie Laveau sitting behind the defendant in his courtroom. The trial began and the prosecutor presented hours of unfavorable evidence against the young man. But after a lengthy deliberation, the judge returned to the courtroom and pronounced the young man not guilty. Magic? Probably not. More likely, it was the power of suggestion and the worries of the judge about what might happen to him if the young man went to prison. Marie possessed the secrets of the most influential people in the city, probably including that judge. 
The father of the young man was thrilled with the verdict, and in return for her help, he gave Marie the deed to a cottage at 1020 St. Anne Street between Rampart and Burgundy in the French Quarter. It remained her home until her death many years later. Above and beyond her network of spies and her potions and charms, Marie had great showmanship. She knew how to take money from the white man's pockets so that he could watch her rituals. Men and women danced wildly after drinking rum and seemed to be possessed by various gods. Seated on her throne, Marie directed the action or she danced with a large snake in honor of Dumbala, the Sky Father and the creator of all life. Once each year, Marie presided over the ritual of St. John's Eve, beginning at dusk on June 23rd and ending at dawn the next day. St. John's is the most sacred of holy days in the voodoo faith. Hundreds attended each year, including reporters and curious white onlookers, each of whom were charged a sizable admission. Drum beating, bonfires, animal sacrifice, and nude women were all part of the all-night ritual, which of course created lurid stories for newspapers and magazines across the country. But Marie knew what she was doing. In addition to being a mother, voodoo queen, and hairdresser, she also probably should have started New Orleans' first tourism bureau. One of the reporters who attended Marie's rituals was a writer named Lafcadio Hearn. The quiet, scrawny, bug-eyed, weak-chinned, bird-legged man was a reporter in Cincinnati before moving to New Orleans in 1877. He'd been fired from his job in Cincinnati because he'd married an African-American woman, which was against Ohio law at the time. He spent the next 10 years in New Orleans writing pieces about the city for national magazines like Scribner's and Harper's Weekly. His articles created the popular reputation of New Orleans as a place that was more like Europe or the Caribbean than like any of the rest of the United States. Essentially, he put the city of New Orleans on the tourist map. He also wrote a lot about voodoo, and while not completely accurate in his reporting, he certainly made it seem like something every adventurous traveler of the 19th century should see. Most of his articles portrayed voodoo rituals as snake-handling, bourbon-drinking, nude-dancing, chicken-killing affairs that ended with people sticking pens in dolls. It's a reputation that has endured for a century and a half, all thanks to Hearn and, by extension, the showmanship of Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen who laughed all the way to the bank. But make no mistake, she also helped a lot of people along the way. She's become a woman known for two identities. She was feared by some and beloved by others. While she charged uptown ladies and politicians hefty fees, she provided many services for free when she cared for the sick during the yellow fever outbreaks, ministered to inmates in jail, and just helped those in need who had no money. Marie died in June 1881, maybe. But whenever it was, many people didn't even realize she was gone. A second Marie Laveau, her daughter, stepped in and took her place and continued her traditions for some time to come. But the golden age of voodoo in New Orleans was not destined to last. By the 1930s, tourism had become the foundation of the city's economy. City leaders didn't want to frighten away visitors with this sensationalized version of voodoo that had been created by Hollywood movies like White Zombie and best-selling books like The Magic Island by William Seabrook. Most of the publications about voodoo in New Orleans or Marie Laveau, printed in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, are always sensationalized and usually, surprise, surprise, inherently racist. Voodoo Today is making something of a comeback in New Orleans. There's the touristy voodoo rebirth, which means you'll find about a dozen shops selling greegie bags and pen dolls in the French Quarter. And then there's the real embrace of the religion. People today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment, and voodoo offers a direct experience that appeals to people. What's happening is very apparent in New Orleans, which has always been the center for these beliefs. 
The main focus of voodoo today is to serve others and to influence the outcome of life events through a connection with nature, spirits, and ancestors. Most rituals are held behind closed doors, since public shows are considered disrespectful to the spirits. Voodoo practices include readings, prayer, and personal ceremony, and it's often used to cure depression, loneliness, anxiety, and other ailments. It also tries to help the poor, the hungry, and the sick, just as Marie Laveau once did. But attitudes are slow to change. There's still fear among many people as to what voodoo is and how it works. They dismiss it as superstitious nonsense, but there's no denying that they're afraid of it too. It's impossible to deny the fear and racism that lurks behind statements made by people like evangelist Pat Robertson, who, after the massive earthquake that occurred in Haiti a few years ago, stated that the Haitians deserve the death and destruction they got because in following voodoo, they quote, made a pact with the devil. Well, you won't find the devil mixed up in voodoo, but you'll find some strange stories of spirits that have lingered in New Orleans after all these years. Marie Laveau may or may not have died in 1881, but based on the tales that have been told for years, her spirit may not rest in peace. There are some who believe that Marie returns to life each year to lead the faithful on St. John's Eve. It's also said that Marie haunts the site of her former home at 1020 St. Anne Street. The original house was torn down in 1903 and a new structure was built on the same foundation, which is why many believe her spirit still calls this place home. People have claimed to see her walking down St. Anne Street wearing a long white dress, her trademark tenion or headdress, which she nodded seven times to represent a crown. Marie's spirit and those of her followers are said to still perform rituals at the site of her old house. There's also another house that also may harbor Marie's ghost, located on Charter Street. It was built in 1807, and according to legend, Marie lived there for a time. Residents of the house claimed that an apparition appeared in the house and hovered near the fireplace. They claimed it was the ghost of Marie Laveau. But the most famous place connected to her spirit is her tomb in St. Louis Cemetery No. 1. But like Marie herself, there's a lot of controversy about what may or may not be her final resting place. Most believe that the tomb, which bears the name Glapion, holds the remains of Marie Laveau and her daughter, the second Marie. But there are others, of course, who disagree. There's also a Marie Laveau tomb in St. Louis Cemetery Number 2. It's located at the rear of the cemetery, and the slab over the crypt is always covered with literally hundreds of red crosses inscribed with pieces of brick. There are also tales that claim Marie is buried somewhere else altogether. What's well, believed that the confusion started after the body that was originally interred in the tomb was allegedly moved. It was said that Marie was first entombed in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, but that her spirit, quote, refused to behave. People became so scared that they refused to go near the cemetery, so another priestess and some relatives moved Marie to Holt Cemetery. She was placed in an unmarked crypt so that her name would not be remembered. Well, the ghost stayed put from that point on, the story said, but of course her name has yet to be forgotten. Well, despite the many stories, New Orleans tradition holds that Marie is buried in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, and literally thousands have come here in search of her crypt. 
The tomb looks like so many others in the cemetery until you notice all the stuff that's been left behind in front of it. You'll find coins, pieces of herb, bottles of rum, beans, bones, bags, flowers, tokens, coins, just about anything else you can imagine that could be left behind as an offering for good luck and blessings from the voodoo queen. If you visit the tomb and you don't leave anything, legend has it your teeth will fall out. Well, I don't know if this is true, but don't say I didn't warn you. In addition to the offerings, you'll also find thousands of markings and X's covering the tomb. The tomb is often repainted, but the marks come back. There's nothing supernatural about this. It's done by stupid people. The origins of what some claim is a voodoo practice are unclear, but despite what some people may claim, it's not an old tradition. The X's that are found in the tomb have been left behind by tour groups and uneducated guides who instruct the tourists to leave three X's inscribed on the tomb in hope of good luck. If visiting St. Louis Cemetery number one, think twice about leaving your own exes on the tomb. The Glapion family who owns the tomb does not consider this voodoo, and neither do any real voodoo practitioners. They consider it vandalism. If you're hoping to get on the good side of Marie Laveau, leave an offering instead. Marie's ghost is believed by some to haunt this graveyard. Legends say that she's sometimes been seen walking the cemetery's narrow paths. One man even claimed to have been struck by her spirit one day after making a disparaging remark at her tomb. Another story, which was popular in the 1930s, involved a drifter with no money and no prospects who decided to sleep in the cemetery one night. He slept fitfully for several hours before being awakened by a strange sound. Thinking that perhaps vandals or grave robbers might injure him, he decided to make his escape to the streets. As he rounded the corner of a row of tombs, he saw a terrible sight. Positioned in front of Marie Laveau's tomb was a glowing nude woman with her body entwined by a huge snake. Surrounding her were the ghostly forms of men and women who were dancing to music only they could hear. Needless to say, the drifter fled for his life. Perhaps the most unusual sighting of Marie's spirit took place when a man was in a drugstore one day near St. Louis Cemetery No. 1. He was speaking to the druggist when an old woman in a white dress and a blue turban came in and stood next to him. Suddenly, the druggist was no longer listening to him, but looking in terrible fear at the old woman instead. Then he turned and ran to the back of the store. Well, the man turned and looked at the old woman, and she started laughing. He thought that perhaps the druggist had been frightened by some crazy woman who lived in the neighborhood. Finally, the woman looked at the man and asked if he knew her. Well, he replied that he didn't, and she laughed some more. Then she turned and looked behind the counter and demanded to know where the druggist had gone. She'd stopped laughing. Now she seemed angry. Well, the man shrugged and she suddenly slapped him across the face. Moments later, she turned and ran out the door and to his shock and surprise, vanished over the cemetery wall. Stunned, the man then stated that he, quote, passed out cold. When he woke up, the druggist was pouring whiskey down his throat. You know who that was? He asked the dazed and confused young man. That was Marie Laveau. She's been dead for years and years, but every once in a while, people around here see her. Son, you've just been slapped by the Queen of Voodoo.
You know, at the end of the episode, last time I turned up my headphones, uh-huh. I waited all that time. I sounded like I was underwater the whole time. And I thought, why does everything seem so muffled? And I thought, oh. well, maybe it's just me. And then like right toward the end, I turned it up and I'm like, oh, oh well, yeah. that sounds so much better. I have control over this. Yeah, I forgot to put my headphones on for one of the episodes I recorded yesterday. It's yeah. like, the fuck, I even put them on my desk <laughs> and then put up all my baffling around it and left the headphones behind it. And then I'm like, fuck, I forgot my headphones. No wonder everything sounded weird. Right. So anyway, Something's whatever. not right. Yeah. All, all right. right. Okay, take two. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the American Hauntings podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now in the middle of season four of the podcast, Haunted New Orleans. Maybe not exactly the middle, but close. Roughly. I'm yes. your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me, the other voice you hear is my co-host, <laughs> author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Yes, because you know me. I don't know exactly how many episodes this season will be. I don't even ask. I've got an outline, but you know, that can change. Yes. So I was talking about... Uh, Dead of Winter episode yesterday, actually, um, with somebody, and they're like, yeah, I don't know what you guys are going to do, and I was like, neither do I, and they're like, no, you have to know. I was like, no, I no, don't. I don't tell you. I know as of 10 you, minutes ago, you but do I didn't. Know. Yeah, because you, well, I sent it to you, but you hadn't looked at it Sure, yet. right. Yeah. Well, because I had the other outlines in my inbox and stuff, and I was like, oh, I can only deal with, mm-hmm. with one script at a time, yeah. and, and you were talking about changing up some of the intros and, and things for different episodes, and I realize now that uh, when I get your your script and I start doing my outline, anything that looks familiar, I just immediately skip over, because right. I'm like, I got to get to the, right. the outline. It, yeah, right, but... Yeah, often I do change some of that stuff up a little bit. And then it's, I people may have, if people listen all the time, they may have noticed a slight change in the last couple of episodes. But anyway. I like that you're always, uh, so hoist the flag and grab your pirate sword. Yeah, I change a little bit on this one. So is a little different than the script you got. Right. When I did it, recorded it, I actually changed it to, uh, I think, grab your chicken foot. Yeah. So, (laughs) well, speaking of chicken foot and other weird things, what do we have coming up? Well, this is um, this episode will be out on March the 10th. And and I as I if anybody listened to the last episode knows we were recording a little in advance and we are doing the same thing on this episode. So the next when this comes out, the next event that we will have may be sold out by the time you actually hear this. I'd say there's a good chance. But if for some reason it's not. On March the 21st, we're doing the Evening with the Limp Family event, uh, which is our big special event we've been talking about with Shift Films in St. Louis. Uh, They are the makers of a new documentary about Elsa Limp's death called Limp's Last Rite. And we'll be doing a a dinner and an evening with the Limp family like I've done uh, quite a few other times. But then we're going to be following that up with a screening of the new film, uh, Q&A with the filmmakers. Uh, p- true crime packet they've got out for everybody, the, the attendees. So if there are any spots left, we hope that you'll come see us. If there's not, you know, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I know it's not, I'm not sure what to say, but after that, we do have another event, which is brand new. Um, and it's uh, an evening among the missing. And that's one uh, It's a dinner event like the other evening withs. And it is a look at unsolved disappearances and supernatural vanishings. It, you know, people who just simply went missing and disappeared. And this is kind of timed, was timed to go along with the release of my new um, Without a Trace book, which came out on February 3rd. So that actually is in, in the past. But um, this this new book was an updated version of an older book that I had done with tons, mostly all new material. There's just some of the classics remain, but mm-hmm. mostly it's new material. And it turned out to be one of the longest books I'd ever written. And I don't even know how that happened. I It just 
surprised me just actually. Keep going. I just, and I could have just kept going. Yeah. I mean, it's like an endless kind of thing. It may be one of those things I have to do a sequel to at some point. Ooh, I don't nice. know because it's just one of those things that that never seems to um, stop. Yeah. I mean, there are still these disappearances. A lot of these in the new version of the book are newer stories. I mean, and so it does still happen. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing I went with, with, you know, when I was promoting the book was talking about, you know, you read this book and you realize how easy it was for these people to just disappear. So if it was easy for them to disappear, wouldn't it be just as easy for you to disappear? Probably. Right. So anyway, um, so if you, uh, if this event is still available and I think it will be, uh, by the time you hear this, it'll still be a month away. Hopefully, um, you'll come see us because this is going to be a cool one. I'm excited about doing this one. I added a lot of new stuff over the winter and the spring, and this was one of the new events I'd never done before. What if so I'm just excited about it? What if it. we're just waiting for the audience for this one and no one shows up? They're all yeah, they all missing. disappeared. Well, I don't know. They're, they're, I have names on the list, so and some of those people I know, so I will be distressed if right. I never see them again. Or so, if, but, if after the event they go missing, and they, they all were the last person to <laughs> yeah, see them was yeah, Troy that, Taylor. Yeah, that seems bad. So, but yeah, you can go to AmericanHauntings.net. Keep up to date with all of the events that we have coming up, uh, including uh, the Haunted America Conference, which I do want to give a mention to. Um, you can find all the details on the conference at ghostconference.net. But the 2020 Haunted America Conference is coming up June 26th and 27th at the uh, Best Western Premiere in Alton, Illinois. Uh, we are uh, well on our way to selling out again this year. So if you have not gotten your tickets yet, uh, we hope that you will. And I know we have a lot of listeners you know, who are outside the area who don't always get to come to some of these events that we talk about. And I know you guys are probably hitting the 30 second button to skip ahead (laughs) of some of this stuff because you know that you can't come, but we actually get, and I, and I get that for an evening with the missing or the limps or something. I I get that. Uh, But the conference, we get people from literally all over the country who come to that. And um, I think it's worth it. And we, we hold it right outside of St. Louis. So we're right in the middle of the country. And while it's not, you know, it's not the Atlanta airport. It's not Mayberry either. It's, you know, it's a Southwest has a whole terminal. So you can get there pretty easy. So um, I think it's worth it for a weekend of, uh, as we often say, being among your people. Yes. Because there aren't many places, if you're somebody who listens to this podcast all the time, you probably have a lot of the same interests that we do. And there's not a lot of places you can go where you are surrounded by people of like mind. The conference, I can guarantee you, is exactly that. Um, it is a weekend full of people who are just as interested in ghosts and weird stuff and strange things and the unexplained, just like you are. And it is a fun weekend. So, Anyway, what was, come. what was the name we came up with or the phrase like a, a sp- paranormal summer camp, Spar- yes, paranormal summer yeah, camp. Yeah. That's and it is a like. lot like what it is. And yeah. Cody and I were just talking about how we're already like sad. Yes. Because the conference isn't even here yet, but we're already sad that it's over. Yeah. Because it everybody is like a, you, everybody leaves and these are people we don't get to see that often. And so it's, uh, it's always kind of like a letdown. So then yeah. we wait two weeks, pack up and go to New Orleans. Yes. So you know, we go back to, to drown our sorrows. I go back so. to like now when I talk about serial killers and it's weird and like, don't say that at mm-hmm. work and you know, all that right, stuff. You stuff. can't talk about at work where you right. can talk about all that stuff. 
at the conference. Yeah, and so. that's poor water cooler conversation. <laughs> yeah, all that all stuff. That. <laughs> all the stuff HR says to me. But yeah, come check it out. Tell me a ghost story. It'll be fun. Ghostconference.net. Check it out. All right. Well, now we have yeah. a listener review from iTunes. And again, cool. this helps people find the show yeah. and um, helps our egos. And it, it's great. This <laughs> not always. And then, well, sometimes <laughs> Usually. it down a peg. Yeah, yeah. often it does. Yeah, but, it balances you know. us out. Yeah. Uh, this one's titled <laughs> Great Paranormal and History Podcast. Came over after the Astonishing Legends Velisca episode a few months ago. Absolutely loved the podcast and helped keep me sane during a 28-hour cross-country oh drive my with my wife and three Holy kids. Cow. I really enjoy both the monologue and discussion segments as they both add a desperate flavor to the show. Keep <laughs> it up. I don't think you meant desperate there, but it, maybe it auto-corrected. But also, I'm maybe, sure it did. Maybe yeah. you meant desperate. Well, um, maybe. That, After 28 hours in the car with right. your family, I'd be desperate. But that's know. from Ace of Spades 1944. Yeah, that was great. What a cool dad to let his kids listen to us talk about well, entire families being guess, slaughtered. My guess is he had headphones on. I so, hope so. To drown out all the rest of the noise. Because so. we did a series about axe murders and I don't know how <laughs> your kids would have liked that. I don't but. know. Renee lets her grandkids listen to the show. That's just because they like your voice. Well, it may be. Well, and they know me. <laughs> right? Put them to sleep. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> I use I use. That's what Maggie sleep uses aid. it for. Really? Maggie and Packy play it to go to sleep by. Cool. Which that, is a little disturbing, but <laughs> right. You know, I think Packy told Maggie something about. Um, don't you think it's weird that we have Troy put us to sleep at night? You know, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So you know, but anyway, they they listen, and I know they play, and I do. I turn on podcasts when I go to sleep, That's and then true, I yeah. I back it. I just set it for 30 minutes and I'm asleep by then. And then I back it. Hey, did I tell you about, this has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, so you fine. can cut it out if you want no, I'm to. Leaving but, it in. Um, I found this new self hypnosis thing that, that can put me to sleep in like five minutes. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I was, re- I was, no, no, no. I was reading this book and they were using it in the book. And so I just sort of adapted it and you go through the alphabet mm-hmm. and you say something like, let's say that you want to talk about food okay. and you want your, your theme for the night is food. So a, you know, anchovies, B, bread. Now, say I use movies. Uh-huh. I, I do. I use movies. A, anaconda. Nice. B, you know, a burnt offerings. You know, I do that. And so, but I've never made it through the alphabet yet. The through the furthest, alphabet? I've, the furthest I've made is M and I'm no asleep. Shit. It puts me to sleep every night. Is That's it, my it's so new boring. thing. I started it like a month ago. And by the time you get to like, for me anyway, by the time I get to like, K, J and K, I'm like half delirious no and I way. can't, suddenly I can't think of a movie that starts with K huh. and I'll be laying there going, wow, I don't, I don't. And then uh, you're asleep. King Kong. <laughs> and then it's like L and I, I've never made it past like M. Wow. I'm not kidding. I, I've not, not yet. And I've been doing this for about like three weeks. That's crazy. So I, so I, try, just, it I try it every night and you can pick whatever you want to pick. Yeah. It can be anything. Uh, but movies is easy for me because I can always think of something. You don't want it to be too hard. Yeah. Well, because yeah. then you're awake. Yeah. But if it's something that you know really well. Yeah. Yeah. How do we get? Oh, put it podcast. Put yes. It to put sleep. it asleep. So, anyway. So that has nothing to do with anything. I still listen to a podcast when I go to sleep too. I turn it on because I like the background murmur. Can we know? talk about how your A was anchovies? That was the right where you went. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm not, not even apple. on purpose. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm always, I go for the savory, I guess. I guess. So well, I don't even like anchovies, but. Oh, uh, does anyone? No, I don't think so. Oh, well, yeah. You know what? Caesar salad. Then you need the, that's the only thing you need anchovies for. Mm. Otherwise they're, they're. 
the devil. I'm good on the anchovies and the salad, but <laughs> anyway, all right, you ready to dive I'm in? I'm ready, yes. Okay, so today we're talking voodoo I gotta quit in New Orleans. Table. You do. It's going to be a, a pain in the ass to cut I'm out. I'm sorry. But no, it's okay. We're talking voodoo in New Orleans. Many people assume that voodoo is just a thing of the past. It came to New Orleans from Africa by way of the Caribbean islands. Did you say Caribbean or Caribbean? Caribbean. Caribbean. Is, I think is that's there a proper I think way? That's, I think that's the proper way. Uh-huh. Uh, I hear it both. Because yeah. you don't, most people don't say Pirates of the Caribbean. They say Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. But I think, I think proper pronunciation is Caribbean. I think I only say. That's how I say it, except unless I'm saying bad movie title. See, it's I think Caribbean. the only way, or reason I say it that way is when I'm saying the, the ride. Me too. Or the, Me too. Yeah. I think so too. Okay. Well, anyway. The people I don't know why. It just sounds better. I know, anyway, right? Yeah, go ahead. We're all over the place today. Uh, the people who came to America for religious freedoms uh, then suppressed the faith of anyone who didn't agree with them. Well, that was the, the British. I just thought it was yeah, fun to put that in there. Because we were talking about slavery under the French was better than being a, I mean, not that there's a good, right. a good way to be a slave, but it was better under the French and the Spanish than it was under the British. Right. Because the, the British really sucked. Yeah. Came here and, you know, like I said, it. they all came for religious freedom and then the Puritans then burned people at the stake. Right. You know, and it's like, um... We meant, we meant our religious um, freedom. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> the first reference to voodoo in an official document you found it is from 1782. And I, what I love about New Orleans and, and voodoo in particular and everything is it evolved from a blend of different cultures. And you talked about how they may have used Catholicism um, to... For a couple different reasons, what to hide their practice? We, we don't. We, yeah, we know they do, but there's been suggestions of other sure. things. Now, see, the way I had always learned it mm-hmm. was that um, they were forbidden from practicing, so they had to all become Catholic. Mm-hmm. So then they started substituting different deities right. for Catholic saints. That's what I'd always been told. But then I've read some other stuff that suggested that it may have been some other reason. So I thought it was be, would be worthwhile to put them all in um, and say that maybe they did it on purpose or maybe they did it because as time went on, everything just sort of got blended together, which yep. could go from, that could be the next step from either of the first two reasons mm-hmm. that they did it on purpose or they did it because they out of necessity. Right. Um, either way, you know, again, Here it's one are. of those things we only know so much about, mm-hmm. you know, and we know that that's how it ended up. And now when we go to New Orleans and if you go into any of the voodoo shops, there's, you know, Catholic prayer candles and icons is all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, next to jars full of roots, you know. Right. My, it's just perfectly goes together. My dad got me a voodoo doll the first time we were in New Orleans and <laughs> yeah. I was seven. I had it to bring it here oh, today. Oh, that's right. And we I, were talking about I left that. it right next to my keys. So it's just sitting there. <laughs> it's just sitting there. Just kind of waiting instead yeah, of Yeah, you can shop. buy them in all kinds of shops down there now. Yeah. They don't even have to be even remotely authentic. Now they, they have ones that you know, voodoo dolls of different professions that you might have. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've seen them in shops. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I talked about that in the, in the thing there's, there's two different kinds of voodoo in Mm -hmm. New Orleans, but it's, you know, it's definitely unique there. It's different in New Orleans than it is in Haiti or somewhere. Right. It's a different way of doing things. Female dominated in in New Orleans. And so that leads us to some of the famous voodoo practitioners. Also now I'm wondering, can I get a voodoo doll that's a podcaster as their profession? That I don't know, but there's probably someone headphones or yes, something that's you know all, i've that's seen little chefs i've seen all kinds <laughs> of stuff yeah 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 uh, so we'll look next player. time we're down. We'll look, I'll, we'll, we'll find something. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can commission somebody if not <laughs> yeah, yeah, talking probably. about famous voodoo practitioners. So there was a young woman from Haiti, uh, lived at Dumaine and Chartres. No, that's Chartres? charter is how they charter. pronounce it down there. Yeah, oh just man. Charter. French people are going to be pissed. Yeah. Um, street. How do I pronounce this name? 
Sun- Sunit Day Day. Day Day. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So in 1817, there was an ordinance passed that recognizes uh, only Catholicism and outlaws any other religion. It's been suggested that since she was so close to the cathedral, Mm -hmm. that maybe they Uh, could hear the drums beating during services. And so they decided they'd had enough. Sure. I don't know if that's true. That's sort of the legend, but... Um, it's an interesting thought, yeah. You know that maybe that was that. The, the got everybody fed up, but then the newspapers, you know, yes. as as, as they, they often will, as they do, away. right? And the police, so the police arrest four hundred women. Is that yeah. is that accurate? Yeah, well, that's what that's what the record says. Man, but they drop the charges. Um, and again, is this a similar thing to the problem that people have with jazz? Essentially, just like a a racist kind of thing. Yeah. Of oh, like, yeah. They're just absolutely they're doing a thing. We don't yeah. like it. They're having fun. So we're going to get rid of it. Yeah, right. we're going to crack down on it. It was just, yeah, in our two episodes ago, we talked about the beginnings of jazz mm-hmm. in New Orleans, and it was the same kind of thing is, you know, there's there, if if all of these people of this other race are doing something that we don't like it, then we've got to stop it because it's got to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what this turned into, you know, is, you know, pushing it outside the city limits you know, I mean, it didn't stop anybody from doing it, but it did make it harder mm-hmm. for them to do it. And technically, technically, it made it illegal yeah. to do it in the city because of this ordinance. But again, we're talking about the French here, and they just let it just kind of look the other way. Right. And so, you know, wh- why would we try to stop this? Because for one thing, we're outnumbered tremendously. Right. Uh, two to one, according to the census at the time. Um, that's a big difference, you know, when you're, you're doubled. I mean, you, there's only so much you can do. And with all of these revolts and things that were going on that, that ended up with a lot of these slaves that were brought to the city with French settlers, you know, nobody wanted to push their luck. So they let it, they let it go. And then, you know, so they move outside the city, which is now, I mean, (laughs) Bayou St. John is, is pretty much the city park, which is just at the end of the, you know, you can ride the streetcar. Up mm-hmm. canal to get the city park, so it's not that far. But, but back at the then, time, that was fairly far away. A nice little trick. So yeah. the next voodoo leader, uh, call him Doctor John. Doctor John claimed yeah. to have been an African prince. He had over fifty kids. Yeah, fifty kids. He had a bunch of wives and mistresses and fifty kids. 50 and kids. yeah, I I just I don't know how he had time to do anything else. Right. With fifty kids, but right. whatever. So. Uh, but he wasn't just famous for all the kids. He was famous no, for predicting no. the future, casting spells, um, and reading minds, um, among other things. And he, he was, kind of invented the Grigri bag too, which is right. uh, which is uh, which is like voodoo dolls. Was a New Orleans invention. Mm-hmm. Was 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 added to voodoo from because of New Orleans. It wasn't something that you would find in other places. Mm-hmm. That was something that came around uh, just in New Orleans, which made it unique. Right. You know. And he's the first in New Orleans to use voodoo for profit. Right, right. He started is... selling things to anybody who wanted them, black or white. Right. And so that was a different kind of thing, too. He's the businessman. Right, exactly, exactly. And some would even say he was the power behind the very famous Marie Laveau. Right. Who uh, she, Supposedly she, was her mentor. Right. And she became, I like how you said this, became for voodoo what Louis Armstrong is for jazz. Right. I think that makes a, Didn't a lot. Didn't invent of, it, but made it famous. Right, right. Right, internationally famous. Right. 
Born in New Orleans, or maybe Haiti. Yeah. In 1794. Yeah, there's a lot of. Or maybe not. There's a lot of difference in opinions as to when she was born, where she was born. I mean, no two accounts of Marie Laveau are the same. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. They are all different, but so many of them you can't depend on because, as I talk about a little bit later, so much of the stuff written from the anywhere from the 1920s to the 1950s is so racist that yeah. you can't even depend on it as being accurate. It's it's kind of like the the ghost stories that we were talking about in some of our earlier episodes that came out of the the first ghost story book about New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a few of the stories that are even remotely accurate. And a lot of the folklore and voodoo stories and things are the same way. They all come out of the same time period. And these guys were spinning tails. Yeah. Man. And so you just kind of have to know she was a real person and that these are some of the things that she did. But boy, when it gets to details, man, things get cloudy. Yeah. There just aren't hard records with a lot of people, especially the free people of color mm-hmm. and slaves and things. They just weren't. It just isn't available right. the way that you would think it would be, right. you know, in a city that has kept such meticulous historic records. I mean, there is a whole um, archive in the French Quarter, and it's filled with stuff, newspapers, records and stuff. But things start getting sketchy when you get into some of the details on some of this. Right. But we do know she had 15 children. Yes. Which again, we do we do know that her first husband died, and we know that she was in a common law marriage. Yeah, with another man, with the Glapion, whose family is still around. Okay, and that's the name that's on her tomb is Glapion. Got so, it. She was in fact a hairdresser, which is uh, and I've heard that disputed too. Oh, okay. Uh, now I, I've always heard she was a hairdresser. Yeah, that's what so I'd that's kind of the version I went with. But I've heard some people say that she wasn't really a hairdresser. That was something that she posed as mm. so that she could get information. Regardless, she was going into people's homes. Mm-hmm. It's not like on American Horror Story. She did not have a shop somewhere. Right, right. She went into people's homes and did their hair. And this is how she got all the gossip and information that she used. Plus, she had this whole intelligence network made out of, made up of, you know, servants and maids and cooks and all these people. And this was all something that was very important to her business. Mm-hmm. Um, now I do in this, in, in the monologue, I did tell several stories about Marie Laveau and made her sound like, um, I feel like I'm afraid that I made her sound like she was like a a crooked psychic, Mm -hmm. you know, using fake information. Um, she used the information and she used her beliefs and the beliefs and fears of her clients to manipulate people, but I'm not, that is in no way to say that her beliefs weren't genuine to her. And mm-hmm. I believe they were as they were to the people who followed her and follow voodoo in general. I mean, it's a real religious faith. Sure. I mean, there's, I'm not questioning. In fact, I find it more real than most religious faiths because it's, it's mostly about nature and it's about, you know, believing in spirits of different kinds. And I think there's something to a belief system like that, which I talked about in the, in, toward the end of the monologue yeah. is why is it making a comeback? Well, it's making a comeback because people are getting away from this, this strict organized religions. And so I, I do think she was for real. And I also think that she did a lot of things that she isn't given credit for. People portray her as this scary, you know, woman who, 
you know, manipulated the judge in the one story, you know, <laughs> the three pepper. Yeah. Trial. Which is a great story because she didn't really have to do anything magical. She just needed to either make him think she was going to, or that she had information on him that would come out if he didn't do what she wanted. Right. And when she sits behind the defendant, you know, that's the guy you've got to find for in this trial. Mm-hmm. Um, so that served a purpose. This was a guy who was, I mean, according to the story, and this is probably the most famous legend associated with her, yep. one of the most famous, um, you know, was innocent of the crime. And so she did what she needed to do. And it's like politicians would pay her a thousand dollars to help they win elections. And there's two ways to look at that. You know, she would put on the front that, oh, yeah, I will use my magic to make that happen. Well, and she did by using her magic with her followers to vote for that guy. So she would go out and win elections for people the same way that, you know, a ward boss would, you know, by controlling the votes of these certain members of a party or this members of a group or the same way that you would um, endorse a politician. Now Mm -hmm. it's the same kind of thing. And if they believe that you believe it, then they're going to follow what you believe. Right. So if I say, I believe in this particular candidate and you know, I think that you'd be doing the right thing if you vote for them, that's what her followers would do. So in a way she was using sympathetic magic to, Win it over. Power suggestion. Sure. Um, so she was not some kind of con artist. So I wasn't trying to portray her that way. And I, I was concerned as I was getting through it that maybe that's how it was coming across. But I, that wasn't. I mean, she took advantage of, you know, say, white tourists who wanted to watch voodoo rituals. But where do you think that money went? I don't think it all went in her pocket because she's spending her time ministering to, you know, prisoners in jail and feeding the hungry. Yeah. So I think that, you know, there was a, a two sides mm-hmm. to this person and whoever she really was, we'll never, we'll never really know. Um, we know she was a real person. We know some of the things she did, but you know, again, you know, we don't have hard records. Then every story is different. You know, mm-hmm. everything you read about her is different. And I've read some scholarly written academic type books about her, but they don't really know any more than we do because there's only so many records. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was definitely a real person and she really had a controlling effect over a lot of people. And I don't think that was a bad thing. Yeah. You know, this was giving this was giving hope to people who were either enslaved or oppressed because she lived past, you know, the civil war. She was around during that time after the slaves were freed, but these were people who had nothing. I mean, you know, look at, in our last episode, we talked about, you know, old Butler freeing slaves that belonged to plantation owners who all showed up in New Orleans with nowhere to go and nothing to do. Well, who do you think was taking care of those people? People like Marie Laveau, um, or the nuns from, you know, from the convent where the you know, Bourbon Orleans used to be that we mm-hmm. talked about a few episodes ago. That's who was taking care of these people. So um, I think that voodoo provided a uh, a faith and a belief system and a an escape mm-hmm. to an awful lot of people and served a really big purpose. And I think it still does, but in a different way. Yeah. You know, yeah, she seems like a very, very clever, very complex oh, yeah, absolutely. person um, with a lot of layers. And you talk about, you know, it's it's. She's she's still delivering the same results. And she's Angela Bassett. 
Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now, unfortunately, and I know that that show, and that's my favorite season, I got to admit. Yeah, but, yeah. And there's a lot of really bad stuff in there, like the, the Kathy Bates stuff is really yeah, awful. Yeah, we talked about but that. But with... Um, you know, Angela Bassett plays her. And now I can't picture anyone else. I it's can't either. so, I've got it so messed up in my head. I can't picture anyone else as Marie Laveau. Um, that's how I see her looking like. Uh, but anyway, I shouldn't, yeah. I shouldn't have thrown that in because no, I'm not trying to make light of it because I think it's, I think it's definitely someone who served a, a worthwhile mm-hmm. life and did a great service to an awful lot of people. But, um, well, she was great in that. Yeah. Angela Bassett was great playing we're, that we're, character. We're talking American Horror Story season three in we case are. anybody's yeah, not we're following mixing along. It in. And I, you know, and I, I had to throw it in there at the beginning because yeah. everybody's seen that. People who listen to this podcast, I'm going to say 75 or more percent of them watch, even though it's gotten progressively worse as time has gone yeah. on, in my opinion. But that's still one of the best episodes. And we'll get to the Axeman later. Mm-hmm. And now don't right. you see Danny Houston? See, that's the problem. So anyway. Yeah. All right. I think it's my second favorite season. I think the first is still my favorite. I I still like the first one, uh, but I'm not, the third one's still going to always be my favorite. It's Leah's favorite season too, but I think the first is, it's, it kind of depends on the day, but but anyway. Sure. Can we talk about St. John's Day? Yeah. June 23rd. It's the most sacred of holy days in voodoo. Talk about uh, drum beating, bonfires, animal sacrifice, and nude women. Well, that was all part of, that was what the reporters all reported on. And sounds like a great, well, and the thing is that, and some of that stuff is accurate. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they, that is part of, uh, part of the worship is using, you know, chickens, goats. Right. Um, but you know what? So did, so did every religion at one time or another used it. So why is voodoo famous, you know, quote unquote for that, you think, compared, because, I, I, because of the newspapers? Well, because of the newspapers and things, because by this time, you know, I mean, if you, if you pick up your Bible and mm-hmm. start reading the Old Testament, you'll find like stories of them, like sacrificing like a hundred sheep and things like what? that. And yeah. And crazy I amounts know. of stuff. And so, you know, and then of course all that changed with the New Testament and all this stuff. And we don't, we don't need to get into all that by my next book. We'll get into all that. Nice. Um, but anyway, um, in this particular case is these are, they are still doing that as a part of, that's part of their ritual. There are certain, um, deities in mm-hmm. voodoo that in Santeria is very close to, it's an offshoot really, mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. And they still believe in that, the sacrifice of chickens or goats or whatever. Uh, but it, it's really become famous in, you know, thanks to, you know, lured newspaper stories. I mean, these were guys were coming to watch these things. And, you know, we talked about uh, Lafcadio Hearn and, yeah. and he, you know, who's the guy who put New Orleans on the map, you know, as a tourist and place. Stuff, yeah. And, you know, but that was one of the things he wrote about these wild articles about snake handling, bourbon drinking. And, and I read that as much as possible, as quickly as possible with all of these right. things that were supposed to have happened, because, you know, this is the, this is the, um, you know, the stereotypical idea of what people have, of what voodoo's about. Um, I always recommend, if you really want to read about what it's about, or watch, even watch a movie, and it's a horror film, and yeah, it gets carried away, but there's a book called The Serpent and the Rainbow, which is good for white readers, because okay. um, it, it lets you, it's written by a uh, ethnobiologist named Wade Davis, who was... Um, involved in finding the secret behind the drug that makes zombies. Right, right. And it, it goes into a full exploration of what voodoo is. It's a really great book, and he's a really interesting guy. And um, there's a movie. They did a movie of it in the 80s, and it's 
you know, becomes an 80s horror film at the end. But they do show like voodoo ceremonies that are not stereotyped. You know, it's not in other words, it's not um, live and let die. OK, the yeah, James yeah. Bond movie. That's right. a, that's really like a wildly racist, you know, stereotyped mm-hmm. uh, voodoo thing. Still a fun movie. It's a silly James Bond movie. But right. um, there's a difference between the two. And they try to keep it as authentic as possible. And I mean, because zombies were were real. They actually were real. Um, you could actually turn someone into a zombie using this, you know, tetrodioxin powder right. from pufferfish. Right. And they we really know the science behind they, it. Right. Now. There is a science. And so these things were real. But that was something that you mostly heard about in the Caribbean. That wasn't so much a New Orleans thing. That mm-hmm. was a thing. But there, you know, there were actual cases of people who were poisoned um, in Haiti. Uh, and turned into zombies for years yeah. that they thought people, their families thought they were dead. So it is a real thing. And it, and I highly recommend that book. It's a great read. Um, there's a lot of really, there's a lot of science in it, but it's fascinating. It's readable science, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a really fascinating. I book. love when they dumb it down for us. Well, and, people. yeah. And, and he's good. He's good about that. He's written some really great books and um but he is a you know he's a guy's dude's a genius i mean he's a scientist and a doctor and he really went and studied all this stuff mm-hmm. in the amazon and in haiti and um anyway i'm getting off on a tangent here but i recommend that as further reading what's it called again um it's called the serpent in the rainbow and it's about voodoo and i talk about in the in the um monologue in the monologue i talked about some some of the movies and things that came along Mm -hmm. in the 30s there was a book called the magic island um i've got a copy of i got a first edition copy of it as a matter of fact and it's a fascinating book about haiti but it was the first book that was ever written and this was in the 20s i believe um about zombies okay and about real zombies that he claimed to see but again this book because of the time period is wildly racist they're Mm -hmm. never going to reprint it uh, but if you can find a copy of it in a used bookstore or something, it is, it's also a fascinating read, but you got to take it with a big grain of salt, right. which is ironic because the salt and the zombies. And anyway, if you read it, <laughs> you'll, under- joke in there. you'll understand what I mean by that. But anyway. So Marie Laveau, like you mentioned, she's feared by some, loved by others. She dies in June 1881, maybe. Maybe, yeah. At which time her daughter steps in. Right. Some believe she returns every year to lead the faithful on St. John's Eve. It's also said that she might haunt her former home at 1020 St. Anne Street. Which is not, when you see the house today, and we've seen it, we, mm-hmm. we on a couple of things that right. we've done, we've seen the house. That's not the original house. Yeah, it's just um, in the spot. That was a house though, right? that was built on the spot. Got it. Uh, but they stay, say she still haunts it. It was built on the foundation of the cottage that was there. Um, but, I mean, who knows? Who but, knows? You know. But people see her walking down the street in a long white dress, so she's another lady in white to kind of... Thing. I guess, I guess, in, but in that's, a a, that's a voodoo thing though. If you go to, um, and you can go, you can actually go, I've done it. You can go to ceremonies and oh, watch okay. it, but they're not done publicly. They're usually done in a location that you have to go to mm-hmm. and inside because now it's a, they don't do them publicly anymore. Uh, because it's supposed to be disrespectful, they mm. feel to do it publicly. But you can go to them yeah. as an observer and 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 watch. But if you do, um, if you do anything, they usually ask that you wear all white, mm-hmm. um, and that's just sort of a that's just kind of a standard for a ceremony. What was it like? Cool, very yeah. cool. Yeah, it was really interesting. I just wanted to see it. Um, I uh, some of the people listening to this podcast know that I was in a movie that was made in 2000 called the St. Francisville Experiment. Yes. And there's a lady who's in it um, who was a voodoo priestess. 
and she came out. Uh, don't even get me started on this movie because it's back on Amazon Prime. I just found oh, out. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, but I she invited me, so I went, and it was um, really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it was very cool. I mean, it was not unlike a... Pentecostal worship service right. and that, you know, with the music and the people getting, you know, possessed right, technically right. and things, but it was, it was very cool just to see something different, you know? So that's awesome. I mean, I could dig that. I mean, I can, I can get it. I understand the excitement behind it for people. It's cool. Right. Right. Well, so moving on from the house, the most famous place connected with her spirit is her tomb in St. Louis cemetery number one, but the final resting place is kind of controversial. Which tomb did we see with all the crosses or that's, X's? That's, or... that's St. Louis Cemetery 1. That's 1. They repaint it all the time. Um, I've been to, to the St. Louis Cemetery 2, but uh-huh. um, it's not, it's not, they don't do tours and things there. It's okay. not, it's not the same. It's a different, different kind of deal. And I'm, that's a story. And I included it because they're, because like her life, her death is just as confusing and controversial because that's appropriate. Yeah. So it really is. Yeah. So, uh, I included that story because some people truly believe that's the case that she was moved, uh, because her spirit wouldn't behave in cemetery <laughs> one. Yes, yes. And so they moved her to cemetery two. And this woman who moved her was a voodoo practitioner who was trying to erase her from history kind of thing as a jealousy thing. And so, you know, she didn't, they had her grave unmarked so that her name would be forgotten so that her spirit would behave. Mm -hmm. But of course that hasn't happened. But so really tradition holds that she's in St. Louis cemetery one, that tomb we went to. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. And I talked about the thing with the X's and stuff and that's, there's nothing that makes me more irritated than to hear a tour guide and, that's the thing. If you want to go to, and we'll talk more about this in our next episode when we talk about the New Orleans way of death. Mm-hmm. Um, now to go to St. Louis Cemetery One, you have to. You cannot go in except with a tour group. Right. Uh, they've really had to crack down because of the vandalism and things. Um, and so that's the only way you can get in. You can't go in at night. It's all guarded. There are cameras everywhere now. Didn't used to be that way, but they also used to say you should never go not in a tour group. I used to tell people that all the time, but shit, that was in like the eighties and early nineties. I'd tell people that you got to go, but you got to go with a tour because it used to be, there used to be a big housing project okay. right outside the cemetery, which is that same housing project we talked about a couple episodes ago where Storyville used right, to be. Right. And it was a really bad housing project. And so people were getting robbed in the cemetery all the time. Oh man. So I would always tell people don't ever go there by yourself. Well, that's you where know. tourists are gonna go. Right. Yeah, but sense. now, you know, now you can only go in with a tour group. And, you know, as you're walking through, they'll be like, you know, that last time we were there, um, there must have been fifteen tour groups in there the same time we were, and you yeah. could overhear some of their BS, you know, and then, you know, we had a tour guide who I've known, um, and I know the company she works for. And I think we, we keep pushing haunted history tours. If you're going to go to new Orleans, these are the tours you want. Uh, but, and I knew she knew what she was talking about and she'd just look at me and roll her eyes right? because we'd hear somebody say something stupid. But one of the dumb things that they, this was started by tour guides. I'm telling you who were telling people to make X's on this tomb. That's, that's, that's terrible. It's not a voodoo thing. There are no X's are not so any kind of voodoo symbol and putting three X's on Marie Laveau's tomb is just going to get you in, locked up in jail now right? because that's just vandalism. Um, it has nothing to do with anything. You, if you're going to do something to, uh, make 
you know, Marie Laveau remember you, or if you're looking for good luck, it's not going to be scraping something into her tomb. It's going to be leaving an offering behind mm-hmm. and you will find everything sitting there yes. and they do clean it up quite a bit. And then it just fills right back up again. So they used to say if you knocked on the tomb and that was something that is at least har- not harmful, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but then it somehow turned into this thing with making marks on it, right. which is not real. Yeah, so. it doesn't make you cool. It just makes you an asshole. So yeah, don't exactly. do that. Exactly. Uh, but her spirit apparently still haunts the graveyard. I love this what story they say. about a yeah. drifter. Right. Claims in the 30s he saw a naked woman entwined with a huge snake standing in front of Marie Laveau's tomb, surrounding her where the ghostly forms of men and women were Which, dancing. You know what makes me laugh What's when that? I hear this story? And I get it's the 30s, but... So maybe the cemetery wasn't as full as it is now, mm-hmm. but there's literally four feet of space in front of her tomb until you hit another tomb. Oh yeah. There's no room there for, for anyone to be dancing. Yeah. Um, there it's, it's so tight in that cemetery. And, um, I, I, I read that and I, I, well, I wrote that in here and read it in here and I just want to laugh because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you could not hold Where a voodoo ritual there. Right. There's no room, but whatever, you know, that's the story. So we'll go with it. And then there's the story of the man <laughs> in the drugstore. Which is my favorite. Yes. Yeah, that's my favorite. Son, you've been slapped by the queen of voodoo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just, I, I, could, I could picture that one because, you know, it's like, you know, she was... You know, if I mean, assuming this story is true, um, you know, she's he's seeing this old lady who seems kind of crazy. And he probably figured that's what the druggist was scared of is some nut, you know, that comes in all the time into the into the drugstore. Right. And yeah, I just I I just think that's a funny story. No, it's a great story. And I mean, you know, if that's the way you get introduced to it or, you know, you get a good story out of it, I'd be fine. Just slap me in the face next time we're down there. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, I just want to circle back real quick just to talk a little bit more about voodoo today. And you say that people are still afraid of it. Um, but you well, th- and that's, you know, you blame that on movies and stuff. I mean, it right. hasn't really changed that much, you know, from the first half of the 20th century. You know, it was all portrayed very luridly and, you know, and really, I mean, there isn't a lot. You don't see it a lot mm-hmm. in movies now. Um, and like I said, The Serpent and the Rainbow is a good example of what it's not until it gets to the end. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like Skeleton Key. Um, okay. The, you know, that movie had some voodoo stuff in it. And, um, the other one is, um, Angel Heart, Angel uh, which Heart. is one, which will make our Halloween movie list, Oh boy! All right. uh, which I rewatched again recently. And that's, that mixes voodoo up with like Satan worshipers. Oh. I mean, it's just not, I mean, it's completely the opposite of, of this, mm-hmm. you know? And so you still see it in movies and things. And, you know, we talk and I mentioned, and I mentioned it in the monologue too, is you see two different kinds of voodoo in New Orleans, the the real stuff and then the tourist stuff. And while the tourist stuff is fun, you know, the real stuff is, is there too. And people do take it seriously, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and, and it should be taken seriously. I mean, I have been in these shops, like, you know, a lot of times like, well, haunted history tour starts from, um, a voodoo shop, Reverend Zombie's voodoo shop on St. Peter's. And I see people in there, you know, dumb, you know, bro, mm-hmm. you know, bro frat guys in there making fun of stuff. And, and, you know, why would you, you know, you wouldn't go, most people wouldn't go into like a Catholic church and start making fun of stuff. But to the people who are 
part of that faith, it's just as bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, you shouldn't, you don't have to believe people's stuff, but you should never make fun of it because, right. you know, people take it seriously and, and voodoo is taken very seriously by a lot of people. And again, it's, it's one of those things that people want, people want a spiritual connection. They don't want to sit in church. I'm not saying everyone, but mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to sit in church on a Sunday morning and sing the same old tired hymns over and over again yeah. and stuff. They want something that, that feels personal to them. And this is a, this is a religious faith that allows you to directly interact with the gods. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's always been the appeal to a lot of people with a lot of different religions. That's why you see, you know, people identifying as pagans and things now, because it's, it embraces a different kind of philosophy than organized religion normally gives us. Mm-hmm. And people want away from that kind of thing. You know, yeah. they really do. And so this is a, so here's an option for you. Yes. If you've decided that you don't like being a Viking, you could try this, yeah. you know, or whatever, you know. Well, so. you mentioned that you said they dis- people would dismiss it as superstitious nonsense. But I would like to just say personally, uh, as a young child, I was told that I was drinking the literal blood of an alien whose father was also himself, plus a third guy. Well, I know. So, so come I know. On. It's not really that weird when you think about it, when you start breaking it down. Yes. No, I know. I know what you're saying, though. And, you know, um, I don't know. I think it's, I think that, any religion is, is okay. As long as it's not harmful to someone else. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that any religion serves a purpose for people, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that this is as much a religion as, you know, being a Methodist or something. Yeah. It's just a different kind of religion. You know, it's just different. So I don't know. I, um, I said, there's a, there's a prejudice against it. And a lot of that, unfortunately, um, is racial in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, it really is. And, that's something that we've explored in past episodes, and I'm, I know it's going to come up again because I know we've got other episodes that are yep. coming up. And New Orleans is a place that is a you know real mixing pot of cultures and races, and so you're going to end up with that. Uh, but it's um, it's something that I think is important to I know, and again, I feel like we have to address this. Anybody who knows Cody and I are like two white guys. And so we're sitting here talking about, you know, voodoo and racism and things. But, you know, we're not trying to lecture anybody. We understand where we're coming from, that we're looking at it from the outside. But, you know, I think that that's how you are able to connect with other people, you know, is by, you know, understanding the, the situations they've dealt with or are going through and, you know what? Fuck it. I love New Orleans mm-hmm. and I love the people down there and I always have. And, you know, I've been down there dozens upon dozens and dozens of times and I will continue to go down there for the rest of my life. And I love the city and the people and I, all the culture that's behind it, all of it. So this season was one I was really excited about doing. And so when we did it, um, I'm going to feel sorry when it's over. I know. You know, but it's not going to stop us from continuing to go down there and experience it. But so this is one of those episodes that, you know, may not be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a lot of ghost stories and things, but it's one that if you're going to understand New Orleans, you got to understand it's homegrown. It's like jazz. Yep. It's homegrown faith here, pretty much. You right. know, it got its start somewhere else, but it became famous here. So here you go. Right. Anyway. So. When you tell your friends that you're listening to a podcast about voodoo, just tell, <laughs> if it, tell them, hey, everything you think you know is probably wrong. Check out this episode and yeah. maybe you can learn something new. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Also, just a side note, Pat Robertson still will not answer my call to bare knuckle box. I'm really upset Man. about that. I 
have a list of celebrities yeah. that I email weekly. Yeah. None of them ever yeah. respond. As you, as you know, I'm working on a book that'll be out this spring. I've been working on a book that'll be out this spring about American um, cults and messiahs and mm-hmm. madmen, all our homegrown stuff. And he pops up every once in a while, yeah. um, especially with his quotes about Haiti and some of his other things, because they also blamed, and we'll get to that later, but they also blamed, you know, the, uh, the, the hurricane Katrina on, you know, all the homosexuals, you right. know, in new Orleans. And, you know, it's the same kind of stuff. I mean, and yeah, that guy, that guy will show up in that book quite a bit and we'll see him back here on the podcast. I'm sure, but He's such a son of a that's the kind of narrow minded stuff that, you know, drives me crazy. This is, that's why people are looking for things like voodoo or, you know, paganism or whatever. It's because of people like that. Right. I mean, let's be honest. Yep. So. Anyway, we are really off on a no, tangent here. We got to rein this baby in well, and start wrapping it up. We're so. gonna we're gonna pull it down now to our Ghost Rider okay. segment. Okay, that'll so, be a little easier. Yes, if you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, email us at American Hauntings Podcast at gmail So we have a message here from Kathy from Haunting History Podcast, who some of you might know from uh, one of our bonus episodes from Patreon. We talk about uh, her show, the Disappearance of Deborah Lynn series. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, she wrote in, she said, I've been uh, so crazy busy for months, haven't had much time to catch up listening to podcasts, but this week started the new season. I just wanted to say again how much I love the podcast. Seriously, in awe of Troy and his research, does he write all of his own scripts too? <laughs> <laughs> does he ever? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, most of the time with a lot of these scripts, I know you have books written about them, but you realize right, but pretty I, quickly you got to reform that. Yeah, you can't, um, you can't take what you write in a book and just read it on a podcast because you're just doing an audio book that way. So it's been a lot of fun for me to, this is something I had to learn though. Mm -hmm. Um, Like our first season was tougher, but once we got into the St. Louis season, I started doing a lot of rewriting to make the stories a lot more conversational than they would be like out of a book. Yeah. So I've really enjoyed getting to do that. Um, I also like to add things that are not in the books Mm -hmm. that are more, maybe funnier or a little bit more lighthearted or more ironic or to make fun of some of the things that are things we talked about that, you know, in the book, it's presented pretty straight. But then when you start really thinking about it, when we start talking about it, it Mm -hmm. has a different feel. So I've tried to do that. But yeah, I do. I do write the scripts usually based on material that I've for the most part have already written. But you got to remember, I've been writing since I mean, my first book came out in 1994. So, I mean, so I've been writing for a long time. So I've written about a lot of stuff. Um, So you find a lot of my material out there, sometimes even with my name on it, on websites and things. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it has someone else's name on it, but it's still my material. But anyway, you know what, you know how that goes. It's the internet and it's the paranormal. So there you go. Uh, But that's okay. I mean, you know, I, I finally stopped putting so many articles online out of my books just for that reason. Right. You know? But yeah, I do. I do write the scripts and it's a lot of fun. I really do enjoy doing it. And Cody always finds it because a lot of times there'll be, there's a lot of funny typos Yes, and it doesn't bother me because when I'm reading it for the monologue, I'll see it and sometimes just start laughing. And then I got to start a section over. Uh, but you know, I, I write very fast and this is why I have editors Yeah, <laughs> you know, very who, important. who will look at, go back and look at stuff because sometimes I can look at it and see it the way it was in my head <laughs> and I don't see is. the, you know, but then reading it out loud sometimes for the, for the monologue, I'll catch it. 
But when I'm writing it and I go back and read something I've written, I'll never forget. I was writing about something that was supposed to be the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. And I wrote the turn of the cemetery. (laughs) And I actually had a friend who read it and went, um, do you read this to me? And I read him the paragraph and I said, the house was built around the turn of the century. And he said, that's not what that says. And I said, yeah, it does. Oh, no, it doesn't because I don't see it. Right, right. This is why I have good people who go through these things now and fix them. That makes sense. Some of my old books, my early, early stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. So the the stuff I always say that, you know, I say it looks like it was printed in my garage because it pretty much was. Um, Yeah. Some of that stuff you would find some, some real humdingers in there sometimes, but it's it's much better now than it used to be. Yeah. It's like with the podcast, people are like, where should I start? I'm like, eh, Season two, yeah, maybe, season two, uh, Exorcist. Season and I know that when you start season two, like the first half of season two is really hard to hear. Yeah, um, but we got better. But yeah, whatever. Eventually, yeah. Season one's pretty rough. So people tell me oh, I'm starting over at season one. I'll go. Oh, I know. I was like, oh, well, just keep God. listening though. Just don't don't let that don't let that chase you away. Right. So. Right. Anyway, well, thanks for writing in, Kathy. Again, check out Haunting History Podcast, and thanks for writing in. I'd like to give a couple of quick shout-outs for our new uh, patrons on Patreon. Thank you to Deanne and Jennifer for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. I guess we should probably wrap this up then. Uh, no more lectures on religion or anything from, from me for the rest of the day. Not today. Not today. Uh, so anyway, uh, guys, thank you very much for listening. And again, uh, we, if you get a chance, please uh, please write a review. Uh, of the podcast uh, on Apple. I know that there are probably other places that you can do that, but that's the one that is seen the most and that's the best way to get the podcast out there. I mean, we're not desperate. We don't sit around and and look at every number and you stuff. Don't? Well, I don't. I don't <laughs> ever look at it, so I just know what Cody tells me, but I mean, this thing is, for me, this thing is just, I do it because it's fun yeah. and I get to do something with Cody. It's not really work. And it's not anything that I just think, oh, my God, we have to, you know, do it because it's fun. We want to. So I don't I don't pay much attention to that stuff. But Cody does. But it is fun to read the reviews and it It is is fun fun. to kind of spread it around and putting a review on it does mean more people see it. Um, It's I don't know, some kind of algorithm crap. I don't know. I don't understand any of that stuff. So uh, that's all on Cody. So but. Do me a favor and write us a review or share it with a friend or whatever. And um, stay tuned because there's more stuff coming. We got some good stuff coming up in this season, especially. Yes, there is. And then we'll figure out what the next one will be after that. But we got a ways to go on this one. We do. I don't even know how long we have to go. I don't either, but there's a lot of good stuff coming. All right. Well, this episode of the American Hauntings podcast was written by Troy Taylor and it was produced and edited by me. That wasn't enough. In each bi-weekly episode, we try to combine history, folklore, legend, imagination, and the truth to reveal more about America's most haunted places, strange tales, and unexplained events. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcast shows. Is that that a thing? That's a podcast Or is that like a network? Oh, it's a service. Well, see, that's what I was trying to think of at the last episode, and I said something else. Is oh, I see. In, okay. Essentially. All right. Well, I understand that. I didn't know what that was. I thought yeah. it was like a way to find podcasts. Uh, you might be able to search on there. I don't know, but it's like okay. Simplecast, essentially. Oh, uh, okay. Well, anyway, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, website, show notes, more info. Well, AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com. Yes. Because that, that website... I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Yes, you well, do. I do. But <laughs> that website, Cody really put some extra effort into that website. Hey, and it thanks. is... A, no, really. It's a lot easier to find stuff now. Yeah. E- each... Um, 
each episode has its own little page yep. and we'd never done that before. Yep. So now you can actually go and let's say you want to see something more about this episode or whatever. Images. Or yeah. Links yeah. There's stuff. stuff on there that you can click on, which is pretty handy. Yeah. So yeah, I like well, that. Thanks man. Yeah. No, I, I do. It. I do. I think it's cool. I'm glad you did it. It was a hell of a weekend. No, I know you'd spent a lot of time on it, but I, I, I think, it's I, worth think it. I, I had seen ones that was something was similar and yeah. I said, Hey, you know, we should do something like I this. I think it was astonishing. Legends. Oh, I think it was too. Yeah. And I said, you know, that's really handy. We should think about doing something right. like that. That was so, a good idea. Yeah. Since, since I didn't have to do it, it was great. <laughs> oh, but American Onyx <laughs> is more than just yes. this podcast. It's books, tours, Which events. Which is why I don't have time exactly. to be doing that. Exactly. So. But all of which you can find at our main website at AmericanHonics.net. And if you ever want more from us, you can become a supporter of the podcast on Patreon. You can get bonus episodes of the show, t-shirts, discounts, pop sockets, great stuff in the mail, and more. Thanks to our supporters, we have upgraded our equipment for the show. And with continued help yeah. from you, we sure dedicate have. dedicate more time That's why and you don't want to listen to episode to season one more shows in the future with better audio take a minute and check it out we think you'll like what you find at patreon.com slash american hauntings be sure to get in touch if you have any comments about the show suggestions reviews jokes or just want to tell us what you really think of us we're reachable via email on twitter instagram facebook carrier pigeon telegram skywriting and but you know what we didn't you know what we haven't included no i don't just like actual mail Oh, gross. Actually, I know, but uh, we have a mailing address. Yeah, okay. Yeah, do you, 220, do you 228 South Movistare. And if you can spell I was that, gonna you, say, you're a genius. Do you want to spell Jacksonville, it? Illinois. They Google we it we have an it. actual office and a mailing address, and I actually do sometimes get things in the mail from people. Interesting. And often they're disturbing, but not always. <laughs> right. Sometimes they're not. and so Sometimes they're haunted. We we always, we should probably put that on the website or something. If anybody wanted to send us some, well, the Patreon people all get it because it's on our return address True. label, so they know we have an address. I'll put it on there if you want people yeah, to send stuff Yeah, we can put there. it out there. Sure, if anybody wants to send stuff, we can. Why well, not? Diane sent us that book that time. She Diana did. did. Yes. So, yeah, we got books, and so people do use it. Sometimes. That's true. Okay, you know what? I'll put it, I'll put yeah, it up let's there. Let's put it up there because that's the one thing we didn't mention that we're reachable that way too. It only took us years. Yeah, <laughs> it's only our fourth season. Literally so, years. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. until next time or until you send us a package, <laughs> yeah. goodbye. So long. <laughs> See you later. No zombie powder, please. Oh, so God, no, no. do not send that. So, all right. See you later. <laughs> Be a hell of a high, though. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't even think about those. I didn't either. Physical address. Turn into a fun episode.